Ah, yes, you're listening to Life 101, where we live in faith every day. This is Line Upon Line, where we study God's Word line by line. And I'm your host, Pastor Adrian. Verses 9 and 10 says, Whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? And then he answers, Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breasts. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little and there a little. So if you're serious about your walk with God and you want to understand true doctrine, it's time to get your Bible and follow along as we study God's Word. It's time to be weaned from the milk. Get your Bible, tell a friend, tell your pastor about this study, and let's get into God's Word line upon line. Let me just open with a quick word of prayer and then we'll get into the study. Our loving Heavenly Father, uh, we just thank you so much, Lord, for your scriptures, uh, for your word, which is true, which is truth. And just thank you, God, for all of the prophets. We thank you for Jesus Christ. Uh, we thank you for the faithful men uh, through the years that have continued to teach your word and hand it down from generation to generation. And we just thank you, God, for our generation.、Uh, we know that if this is not the final generation,、uh, we're very close. And so, Father, we pray for faithfulness. We pray for courage.、Uh, we pray for vision. And、uh, we just pray, God, for one another. We ask for your blessing upon us and that we would deeply love you, love Christ, and love one another. And we ask all of this, Father, in the mighty name, the glorious name, the majestic name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. So, last week when we、um, concluded, I was in two minds about whether to continue in Revelation. We got up to chapter five last week, and then I was thinking do we go into chapter six and continue through the storyline in, in sequential order, or should we jump ahead to the end and, and kind of see how it all ends and, and the glory and the vision and, and the hope that the end inspires, and then come back and continue with that in mind? And with prayer and in consultation with Pastor Murray, what I've decided to do, brethren, is to go ahead and、uh, jump to the end of the story. So we're going to go through chapter 21 this evening, and God willing, on Sunday, we'll look at chapter 22, and then we'll come back 
and uh, we'll we'll do it in sequential order from chapter six through, and then we'll actually go through chapters twenty one and twenty two again. Uh, there's so much in these chapters; we'll be able to bring out a bit more the second time around, and and you just follow the sequence. So. Um, what we want to do here is make sure that we do have context for it, it's going to get quite spicy uh, between chapters 6 and 18 um, it's going to get very spicy and if we don't have this vision if we don't have this big picture it could actually become discouraging for some so we want to make sure that we do have the big picture we're going to go to the end of the story here um, see what the apocalypsis is really all about what is it that God wants John or wanted John to understand and see and by extension uh, pass on to us that we would see very clearly and so we would be very very committed followers of the Lord Jesus Christ so let's uh, let's get right into our study and uh, we'll go to Revelation I'm gonna jump ahead now and go to Revelation chapter 21 so he says here and I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. So John sees something brand new. Everything that we know today, the whole universe, the heavens and the earth, John says the whole thing is being replaced. And, and Moses began the scriptures with this single sentence. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And, and I'm convinced that Moses understood the big picture. Moses understood what God had in mind when he created the heaven and the earth. And he understood the central role of the earth, of the earth in the entire cosmos, in the entire universe. Moses had a, had a grasp of why the earth was was singled out. And, and again, I, I mentioned this last time uh, when we were looking at the throne room of God, that, you know, when scientists look at the, the size of our universe, uh, the earth is, no, is nowhere near the center of the universe. It's, it's a speck in an obscure corner of this vast universe. And yet, they cannot find life anywhere in the universe except on planet Earth. And what, what they don't understand and what God wants us to understand is a complete reconfiguration of heaven and earth is going to take place. And earth indeed is going to be at the center of the universe. And that's the vision that we have to have. So, so he creates this heaven, this new heaven and new earth. And, and John was not the only prophet that understood that God was going to create a new heaven and a new earth. Look at what um, Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 65, verse 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. So Isaiah saw it. Isaiah understood. God revealed this to Isaiah, that he's going to create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered. So everything that we understand today, the way the whole system works, the whole universe, what the, what the Hubble telescope has gone out there and, and uncovered for it, uncovered for us, it's all going to be forgotten. That, that what's coming is so glorious that everything we know today will just pale into insignificance. It will not be remembered. It won't even come to mind. What's coming is so glorious 
that everything we know today about the universe will just be forgotten and, and we will never talk about it. In Isaiah 66 and verse 22, again, the prophet repeats, for as the new heavens and the new earth, so Isaiah understood very clearly that, that a whole new cosmology was coming with the earth at the center. For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me. So, so this uh, universe that we have today, the way it's configured, it's going away. Everything on earth is going away, but what's coming will remain forever. And now listen to what the prophet says, or what God says through the prophet. For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. God is the God of Israel. And, the, and he will be known as the God of Israel forever. And the name of Israel will remain forever. And the seed of Israel will remain forever. So, you know, in Matthew 24, Christ says, do not be deceived. And, and he shares with us what's going to happen to Jerusalem and what's going to happen to the people of God and how all over the world the people of God are going to be hunted down and persecuted and, and almost destroyed to the point where no flesh would be saved. But he's going to step in and he's going to stop it and he's going to preserve the seed of Israel. And then he's going to establish the seed of Israel and he's going to exalt the seed of Israel, not just in this dispensation, not just in the earth the way it is today, but forever in the new heavens and the new earth. And we have to understand this and not be deceived. So continuing now in uh, chapter 21, verse 2, And I, John, I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, as a bride adorned for her husband. So this is something that God has been preparing for Christ. The same way that we would see uh, a young lady uh, being really excited about her wedding day and all of her, her family and attendants preparing her for this big, big day. This is what God has been doing. He's been preparing the bride for her husband. And when he presents her to her husband, she is going to be pure. She is going to be holy. She is going to be without spot and wrinkle. She is going to be complete. She is going to be the perfect gift for her husband, Jesus Christ. So, so John saw this vision of the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, Revelation ends with this wedding ceremony. And what we need to understand is that the Bible not only ends with a wedding ceremony, it began with a wedding ceremony. That here in Genesis 2 verse 22, when God caused this deep sleep to fall upon Adam, after he had looked at all the animals and named all the animals and saw them all pairing up with each other and realized he was alone, then God put him into a deep sleep, took a bone out of him, and from that rib, he prepared a woman. And he presented the woman to the man as, her, as his wife. And it says here, And the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And just the same way that God is now preparing this bride and bringing her unto the man, unto Christ. 
Therefore, in verse 24, shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. So this marriage ceremony in Genesis, the very beginning of the Bible, is highly symbolic. And right from the beginning, when God created the heaven and the earth and then placed man upon the earth and then married the man to a woman, all of this was highly symbolic of God's plan and his intention to have mankind marry Jesus Christ and become one with Christ. And so Adam and his wife were symbolic of the union that we're finally seeing here in the apocalypse, where this is all going, the history of man, where will it end up? It will end up with all of repentant mankind being presented to Christ to come, in, to come into a union, a very deep union with Christ uh, uh, coming down from the Father as a gift, as a bride adorned for her husband. And we shall be one with Christ. Then he says here in verse 23, he says, in sorry, verse 3 of chapter 21, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, behold, pay attention to this. Look at what is happening. The tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. So what we come to understand here is that from the very beginning, God has always intended to dwell with man, and it's almost like there's this this, uh, corridor. It's almost like there's this corridor between heaven and earth, and it begins and ends in Jerusalem, and that whenever God comes to earth, he comes to earth through this corridor and lands on this holy spot of the earth. And that's most likely where Eden was, and it's most likely the land that God then promised to Abraham and where he directed David then to set up his, his kingdom. And, and now in this new Jerusalem, it's coming down to this very same spot. And it's where Jacob's ladder, where Jacob had this vision and said, surely this is Bethel. This is where God is in this place, that there's this corridor between heaven and earth. And God is finally coming down. And now instead of going back and forth, now he's establishing his tabernacle here on the earth with men. So he continues. He says, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. And this was the intention from the very beginning. Unfortunately, the first Adam uh, really messed up, but the second Adam has come. He's redeemed mankind. And now we can get back to what Moses understood from the very beginning, what God intended when he, when he created the heaven and the earth and put man on the earth and wanted to tabernacle with man on the earth. And here, this whole idea of God uh, being with his people and his people being with God and, and this dwelling together, it's, been, it's throughout the scriptures. In Leviticus 21, uh, 26, verse 11, Moses writes, And I will set my tabernacle among you, And my soul shall not abhor you, and I will walk among you, and will be your God, and you shall be my people. This was always the intention, that God would dwell with man. In Ezekiel 37, verse 27, My tabernacle also shall be with them. 
Yes, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. In Zechariah 8, verse 8. And I will bring them, and they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. This is God's intention. He's going to take his people, and he's going to put them in Jerusalem, and they will dwell there. And they shall be my people. So even though they've been persecuted, they've been uh, captured and sold into slavery and exported all over the world, God is the second exodus is going to happen. And God is going to gather his people, and they're going to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem will be the, the, the headquarters of the whole earth, of the whole universe. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God in truth and in righteousness. So continuing now. Uh, so we just see very clearly this has always been God's intent, but now uh, finally it is happening here at the end of the book. And he says now in uh, chapter 21, verse 4, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. So between the first Adam and, and, and the joyful union that he had with, with Eve, his wife, Unfortunately, that went sideways, and there's been nothing but sorrow, nothing but persecution and oppression, and, and the opposite of God's intention. And certainly leading up to this end time, all of this sorrow is going to intensify, especially for God's people. But God is saying, hold on, be faithful to the end, don't worry, I'm coming, and I'm going to wipe away all tears from their eyes. All this sorrow is going to come to an end. And there shall be no more death. Again, we're going into a, a period where human life is going to be worth nothing. And, and we're just going to see death in the millions, in the hundreds of millions, in the billions. It's just going to be death everywhere. But there's coming a time when there'll be no more death. Neither sorrow, nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. All of this, what we understand, the way the world works today, it's coming to an end. And, and again, uh, John is not the only prophet that saw this. John is not the only prophet that understood this. Look again at Isaiah in, in chapter 25, verse 8. He will swallow up death in victory. Death is coming to an end. Death will be defeated. Death will be no more. He will swallow up death in victory. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from off all faces and the rebuke of his people shall he take away from off all the earth unfortunately when we go back through revelation we're going to see that there's going to be a great rebuke of his people and 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 his people have brought this upon themselves but he's going to have mercy according to his promise to abraham he's going to fulfill his promise he's going to fulfill the, the, the uh, punishment that's required of his people to get them to repent, but he's also going to fulfill this promise to Abraham, and therefore he's going to remove the rebuke from his people, from off all the earth, and the whole earth is going to honor Israel, for the Lord has spoken it. Again in Isaiah chapter 35, And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion. Even though they've been pushed out of Zion, God is going to see to it that they come to Zion, with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads. And they shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. So says the Lord God Almighty. Again in Isaiah chapter 51, verse 11. 
Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion, and everlasting joy shall be upon their head. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and mourning shall flee away. So same, same thing that he said in chapter 35, in chapter 65. And I will rejoice in Jerusalem, and I'll joy in my people, and the voice of weeping shall no more be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. So this is something that uh, John saw very clearly, that God is going to pronounce no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. There's just going to be great joy and singing and, and everlasting joy. And this is what Isaiah saw very, very clearly. Continuing in Revelation chapter 21, And he that sat upon the throne said, so now we're going to actually hear the voice of God, Behold, I make all things new. Everything, everything's going to be new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. This is, this is truth. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And so we understand Alpha and Omega are the first letter of the Greek alphabet and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. So he's the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. Now when he says he's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, Again, we have to go back into the Old Testament to see who is this that's saying he's the beginning and the end. So this is Christ speaking. What does he mean he's the beginning and the end? In Isaiah 41, verse 4, Who has wrought and done it, calling the generations from the beginning, I the Lord, the first and with the last, I am he. So God makes it very clear. He's the first and the last. So Jesus Christ is God. Chapter 44, verse 6, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. Chapter 48, verse 12. Hearken unto me, O Jacob and Israel, my called, I am he, I am the first, I also am the last. So Christ is very clear about who he is. Unfortunately, his people are not clear about who he is. And so they're going to have to go through an intense period of suffering. And finally, they're going to look up and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the first and the last. He's the Alpha and Omega. He is the Lord God Almighty, their Redeemer. Continuing in Revelation 21 and verse 7, He that overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. And again, it's very important that we see this very clearly. This is the promise to the overcomers. And so as we go back and we're, start, we're going to go through Revelation chapters 6, especially right up to uh, 18, we're going to see a lot of turmoil. We're going, to see a, uh, we're going to see the beast power getting the upper hand. And what we have to understand is we have been called to be faithful witnesses. And we must overcome not only the evil in the world, but we have to overcome the evil in ourselves. We have to overcome the evil hearts that we have inherited through human nature. And we have to use the Holy Spirit to be pure. There's no point in us preaching to others. There's no point in us warning the world and giving them the witness of, of the good news of the coming kingdom. But we ourselves are allowing ourselves to be corrupt. And we're allowing our congregations 
to be corrupt. We're allowing leaven to creep into the congregations and, and take over the congregations. And yet we think that's okay. It's not okay. We have to be overcomers. We have to operate at a very, very high standard. So while the world is corrupting itself and evil men are waxing worse and worse, God is actually doing a work and he's preparing a people and he's cleansing this bride. And, and the whole world is going to be astonished when Jesus Christ returns and there's a people ready to receive him and serve him and rule with him. This is the focus that we have to have and overcoming is central to what we do. And so to all the churches, when we were back in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, every epistle that Jesus Christ personally wrote to these congregations, he ended every epistle with, a, with an appeal to hear what the Spirit says to the churches and a promise of what he would give to the overcomers. So here we see in uh, chapter 7, he has an ear, to him that overcomes will eat of the tree of life, which is in the middle of the paradise of God. In verse uh, 11 of chapter 2, we will not be hurt by the second death. In chapter 17 of, uh, chap in verse 17 of chapter 2, uh, we'll eat of the hidden manna. We'll have a white stone with a new name written on it. In chapter 2, verse 26, if we keep his works to the end and overcome, we'll be given power over the nations. In verse 5 of chapter 3, we'll be clothed in white raiment, and our name will not be blotted out of the book of life. In verse 12 of chapter 3, uh, we'll have a new name. We'll have the name of God written upon us, and the name of the city of his God, which is the new Jerusalem, if we overcome. And we'll, we'll have his new name, because we'll be his bride. So we'll have his new name written upon us. And then finally, in verse 21 of chapter 3, uh, we will sit in his throne, even as he has overcome and is sat in his Father's throne. So all of these promises of, to the overcomer, we see fulfilled here at the end of the book. Now, <clears throat> we need to, excuse me, we need to look at this very carefully now. On the one hand, we see the promise to the overcomer. So we have to be overcomers. And then we see something else. But the fearful, the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake, which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And this is why it's so important for us to be part of this first resurrection, because the second death has no power over us. And we'll, we'll be there helping human beings to avoid the second death, but the second death will have no power over us. But I find this verse fascinating. And I think it's very good for us to kind of jump ahead here, that we're going to be reading some very fearful things that are going to be coming to pass and coming upon this earth. And some very fearful people are going to be taking over and running the earth. And yet, God expects us not to be fearful. And when we look at the people that are thrown in the lake of fire, I personally find it fascinating that God begins not with the abominable, not with murderers, not with whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars. He begins with the fearful and unbelieving. And you know what this says to me is that Weakness is evil. Think about that. Evil is evil. 
but weakness is evil. Because weakness cannot withstand evil. Weakness allows evil to take over. And so God is looking for people who are not weak. But all of us are weak. All of us are fearful. This is the human condition. This is why Satan has had his way with mankind for millennia. Because we're all weak and we're all fearful. And he's been able to manipulate mankind because of our weakness and our fear. Now, the Holy Spirit is not a spirit of power, uh, a spirit of fear. It's a spirit of power. It's a spirit of a sound mind. It's a spirit of, of love. And so the only, it's kind of, uh, you know, I don't want to say it's, um, it's not easy. I don't want to say it's easy, but it's simple. It's very simple. Allow God's spirit to come in us. Allow God's spirit to grow within us and live by the spirit. And then we will be believing people. We will be fearless people. We will be loving people. And so God will do this through us if we nurture and, 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 and develop the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit within us to God's glory. And, and so this category of fearful and unbelieving, unfortunately, as I read this, this is speaking of people who understood the word of God, who believed the word of God, who believed God, but they didn't have the fortitude, the spiritual fortitude to face evil, to stare down evil and say, Jesus Christ is king. Instead, they buckled and, and they collapsed. And this is what Christ talked about in Luke when we were in Luke and we looked at chapter 8. And it talked about a sower went forth to sow. And he sows his seed, but it falls on different kind, types of ground. And here in verse uh, 13 of chapter 8, They on the rock are they, which, when they hear, they receive the word with joy. But these have no root. They don't have root. Which for a while believe, and in time of temptation or in time of trouble, in time of trial, they fall away. And Revelation, from chapter 6 through to chapter 18, is all about trial. It's all about temptation. It's all about tribulation. And Matthew 24, Christ tells us that in the end time, the love of many will wax cold. Many will betray one another. How does this happen? We're not working from the Holy Spirit. We're not functioning from the Holy Spirit. The, the center of our universe is not Jesus Christ. It's ourselves. And so many become offended. Why do they become offended? They become offended because they believe they are important and their feelings matter. And they're not upholding Christ. If we uphold Christ, nothing offends us except anything that offends Christ. But if, any, if there's any harm that comes to us personally, we're okay with that because you know what? We deserve nothing except the death penalty. So every day is a gift. Every relationship is a gift. Everything, everything we give thanks because we deserve nothing. And so if we get what we deserve, we're like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We're not careful to answer you in this matter, O king, because we know our God can save us. But if he chooses not to, that's okay too. We understand he, he has other purposes that are beyond our personal feelings. And so we're good with God because he's a good God. 
And we have to think this way, brethren, because the prophecy is against us. How does, how does the love of many wax cold? What happens? What happens where people who believe in God, who trust God, who love Christ, what happens to them that their love switches off and it turns cold and we become bitter and betray one another? What happens? Well, we have to get through this time of trial. We have to get through this time of temptation, believing God, trusting God, loving one another fervently, and, uh, and not fearing evil men. Evil men are going to wax worse and worse. Even so, let it be. We, what, what can we do? What we can do is bear witness that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he is coming to establish the kingdom of God. And nothing anybody says or does or whatever they do, nothing can change this. And so we declare the truth of God. So this is very, very uh, important verse that the fearful and unbelieving are singled out first. They're thrown in the lake of fire first. And then all of these evil people. So weakness is evil. And we must rely on the spirit of God so that we are strong and we are mighty in the Lord. And we are not weak. We must face evil head on. Don't back down. This is not a time to back down. This is not a time to go off in the corner and put your head down and hope you don't get noticed. You will get noticed. It's like the, the warning that went to Esther. You know, who knows if you're here for such a time as this. But if you don't stand up, if you don't step up and play your part, that's okay. You'll be sidelined. You'll be found out. You'll be captured and slaughtered. But God will raise up somebody else. So this is where we are today, brethren. Are we going to stand up for God or does he need to raise up somebody else? Because the roles are all set. Here's, here's the stage. Here are the roles. What role do you want to play? You want to be an extra? You want to be a bystander? Or do you want to take up a significant role for God? Because the roles are all set. It's just who's going to play what role? Let us be those who say, I'll be a faithful witness. Lord, count on me. I'll be a faithful witness. And so we stir up the spirit within us and we do God's will fearlessly, lovingly, hopefully with vision that we see here of what, what the end time holds. Continuing in verse 9 of chapter 21. And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues. And so we'll see that as we go through uh, the book of Revelation. But here the same angel now comes to him and talked with me, saying, Come here, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. So we're going to see now the Lamb's wife, who's been ready, who's about to be presented to the Lamb. He calls John and he says, Come, I'm going to show you the, 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 the bride's wife. Now, this same angel, when we go back in Revelation 17, verse 3, he showed John another woman. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls. So she's been adorned, having a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and filthiness 
of her fornication. So, so there's two women that the angel presents to John. The first one is this harlot who is adorned with all kinds of precious stones and pearls. But she's a harlot and she's full of blasphemy and full of rage and full of murder and deception. So this is one woman. And then he says the same thing. He says, you know, come and see. And he shows her, shows him this other woman who is pure, who's holy, who is adorned by God himself for Christ. And so this is the woman that lasts. This is the woman that will live forever. The other woman is going to be thrown into the lake of fire. And so all human beings have to decide which woman are we going to be a part of? Are we going to be a part of the filthy harlot? Or are we going to be a part of the pure bride? It's one or the other. There's no in-between. All of mankind has to decide which woman are they a part of. Are they going to be a part of the harlot who is one with the devil? Or are they going to be a part of the bride, the pure bride, who is going to be one with Christ? There's nothing else. One or the other. Continuing in verse 10 of chapter 21. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain. So again, the same language that we saw in verse 3 of 17. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. So here in verse 10, he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. And, and this is not new. So John is seeing this. But this is something that Ezekiel saw as well. In chapter 40 of Ezekiel, verse 2. In the visions of God brought he me into the land of Israel and set me upon a very high mountain, by which was the frame of a city on the south. And he brought me there, and behold, there was a man whose appearance was like the appearance of brass, with a line of flax in his hand and a measuring reed and he stood in the gate and the man said to me said unto me son of man behold with your eyes and hear with your ears and set your heart upon all that I will show you for to the intent that I might show them unto you are you brought here declare all that you see to the house of Israel so the same way that uh, God brought John in, in the spirit to see all these things so that he could declare it to us, the Israel of God. He did the same thing earlier with Ezekiel, that he brought Ezekiel out in, on this mountain so that Ezekiel could see these things and declare them to Israel. So, so again, the Bible has this integrity. It has this unity. It's, it's not like you know the New Testament goes off in a brand new direction. No, the New Testament is completely rooted in the Old Testament. And all the prophets are seeing and saying the exact same thing. So he goes on to say that he must declare them to the house of Israel. Continuing. And behold, a wall on the outside of the house round about. And in the man's hand, a measuring reed of six cubits long by the cubit and a handbreadth. So he measured the breadth of the building one reed and the height one reed and the gates of the city shall be after 
the names of the tribes of Israel. Three gates northward, one gate of Reuben, one gate of Judah, one gate of Levi. This is, this is the vision that he has of this new city coming down. And at the east side, 4,500 and three gates. One gate for Joseph, one gate for Benjamin, one gate of Dan. And at the south side, 4,500 measures, same measure, and three gates. One gate for Simeon, one gate for Issachar, one gate for Zebulun. At the west side, 4,500. And with their three gates. One gate of Gad, one gate of Asher, one gate of Naphtali. It was round about 18,000 measures. And the name of the city from that day shall be, The Lord is there. So the Lord will tabernacle with men. And he will be in, his throne will be in this new city. And so the name of that city from that day shall be, The Lord is there. So that was the vision that was given to Ezekiel. We continue now in the vision that is given to John. And having the glory of God and her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal, and had a wall great and high, and had twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb of God. So here we see uh, the gates have, the each gate has a name of the tribe of Israel, and each gate has a name of one of the apostles of the Lamb. And so this is why earlier when we were in the throne room, Revelation 24 and 5, and we saw the 24 elders, and I said, you know, my best guess here is that 12 of the elders are the patriarchs, the, the, the heads of the tribes, and 12 are the apostles. And I think that that's supported here as we see each gate has a name of one of the patriarchs, and each gate has a name of one of the apostles. So that's where uh, the rationale for that uh, conjecture comes from. Now, look at uh, Isaiah again, his, his vision, the similar vision to um, uh, John, what John is seeing, is rooted in what the Old Testament prophets saw, this glory of Jerusalem, this glory that is going to come from, from God for Jerusalem. In Isaiah 52 verse 1, Awake, awake, put on your strength. This is after all the slaughter in Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem, don't be discouraged. Don't be dismayed. Awake, awake. Put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, because you are a bride adorned for your husband, the holy city. For henceforth there shall no more come into you the uncircumcised and the unclean. So that means that the uncircumcised and the unclean are going to take over Jerusalem. We're going to see the abomination of desolation set up in Jerusalem. We're going to see perhaps palaces set up in Jerusalem. But we're also going to see slaughter and destruction in Jerusalem as a result of the Gentiles taking over Jerusalem. But Isaiah could see anciently what John is seeing now, what we're seeing through John, that Jerusalem has been chosen by God. 
And all of this is going to be forgotten. And God is going to establish a new Jerusalem so that we forget all of the sorrow, all of the pain, all of the torture that took place, all of the war that took place in Jerusalem. It won't be remembered. It won't even be mentioned. Instead, there's going to be this great glory of God in Jerusalem. In, in chapter 54, the, the uh, prophet writes, O you afflicted, tossed with tempest and not comforted. So this is, matches what we see in Matthew 24. Behold, I will lay your stones with fair colors and lay your foundations with sapphires. And I will make your windows of a, a gates and your gates of carbuncles and all your borders of pleasant stones. So God is going to establish and he's going to build this foundation of Jerusalem personally himself. God is going to do this. Continuing then in Revelation 21 and verse 15. And he that talked with me, same again, similar vision to what we saw in uh, Ezekiel, what Ezekiel saw, uh, this measuring of the city. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof and the wall thereof. And the city lies four square. And the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. And he measured the wall thereof, a hundred and forty and four cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of the angel. And the building of the wall of it was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like unto clear glass. So all of the, it, it's a very precisely measured city. It's very, very specific, and it takes up a very exact amount of real estate. And Abraham himself, you know, says that he was looking for a city that, that whose foundations were built by God. Well, this is it. So he goes on to say that, he measured the wall thereof, 104 and four, 140 and four cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of the angel. And the building of the wall of it was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like unto clear glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third, the, the third a chalcedony, the fourth an emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth the topaz, the tenth a chrysoprasus, the eleventh a jacinth, the twelfth an amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold as it were, transparent glass. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And, and you know, again, um, to these folks who believe in, in Trinitarian doctrine, uh, there's no Trinity here. There's no Trinity mentioned here. There's only two beings. There is God the Father and the Lamb. And, and certainly the Holy Spirit is in his people 
as his, his power, that he, he does his will through us with it. But the Holy Spirit is not a person. The Holy Spirit does not sit on a throne. And here we see God the Father on a throne and Jesus Christ the Lamb on a throne. And so he says, And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. There's just no need for that. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. So we, when we look at the sun, it's just so bright when it's in its full strength. We can't even look at it directly. We have to have sunglasses or we have to shade our eyes. But this glorious light that the sun gives is nothing compared to the glory of the Father and the Lamb when they are here on earth in this beautiful city. They, they are going to be the light. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defiles, neither whatsoever works abomination or makes a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. And so this is why we have to be overcomers. We have to purify ourselves to prepare to meet Jesus Christ. And we all have our problems. We all have ish psychological issues from childhood. Uh, we, we all have issues. We all have our experiences. We have, we have our skeletons in the closet. God knows all of that. And he is able to wash all of that away. He is able to purify us with his word, with his Holy Spirit. And so we just have to have this confidence in God, this confidence in the Lamb's uh, sacrifice and in his love for us. And so this is reality, that all of these liars, all of these murderers, all of these whoremongers, none of them can fit in the new creation. And so let them do their thing. If they want to follow the devil, let them do it. Let them have this world because a new world is coming. And this is what we have to see so clearly. This, is, this vision of this new world, it needs to empower us every single day. This is what we see. And this is why we will just do God's will. We've counted the cost. We have found the pearl of great price. And we are willing to give up everything to obtain this pearl of great price. This, this is the reality that's coming. This is the forever reality. The, re the reality that we face today, much of it is an illusion and it's all temporary. It's all passing away. But this, what's coming, is forever. So there shall in no wise, it's impossible that to enter into it anything that defiles, neither whatsoever works abomination <clears throat> or makes a lie. But they which are written in the Lamb's book of life, and again, we'll just finish here, with what Ezekiel saw. Because these, these, it's not like John is kind of bringing up some new theology. God has a plan from the very beginning and, and all the prophets have seen and have said the same thing. As we'll end now with Ezekiel in chapter 44, verse 9. He says, Thus says the Lord God, No stranger, uncircumcised in heart, nor uncircumcised in flesh, shall enter into my sanctuary. 
of any stranger that is among the children of Israel. God is the God of Israel. The 12 gates are named for each of the tribes of Israel. The only way into the city is to come in through one of the tribes of Israel. And God will be known as the God of Israel forever. And that means that Israel, as Israel is being purified to be presented to Christ as his wife, all nations, Christ has, has come to redeem all nations. So every tongue, every ethnic group, every nation is invited to come into Israel, to come into the pure bride of Christ. And so this is our job, to preach this good news, to bear witness of this good news to the whole earth and to make disciples of every nation, of every tongue, of every ethnic group, because this future is for everyone who desires to be pure. What a great God we serve. Glory be to Jesus Christ. Looking forward, hopefully you can join us on Sunday evening live. If not, it'll be in the archive and you can uh, catch up as we do, God willing, Revelation chapter 22 on Sunday evening. Good night. God bless. What a God we serve. Jesus Christ is Lord. He's King. He's Savior. And he is our husband. God bless.